This podcast is not here for those people that are trying to stay out of last place. Because those consequences don't exist for the people that are listening to this podcast. These are the people that always end up in the playoffs but can't seem to get over that hump. Or the ones who just want to dominate year after year just to show everybody else they're the champions. Guys, this is a fantasy football intervention. And we're about to intervene with your fantasy football life. going on guys welcome on into fantasy intervention we got yet another episode get excited get excited get excited i do have with me edwin porus is it porus 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 i I can't even roll my my tongue man i'm sorry that's right that's right he uh, he runs the injury prone (laughs) podcast you guys can find him at twitter or on twitter at fb fantasy doc what's going on man how are you doing tonight Oh, man, um, I'm just excited to get ready. I got three hours of pods tonight, so I'm super excited about it. Nice. Guessing yours, and then I'm going to host a couple on my own. So that's I'm excited cool, for it. Yeah, I got yeah. you, and then yeah. I got Garrett Price from Dynasty Nerds up next. So I'm really, really excited to, to host that guy. He's a trip from what I've heard. So we'll see. But tonight I brought on Edwin tonight to actually talk about some of the big concerns throughout the fantasy community right now, because every time I think about it, my stomach gets tied in knots. I get sick. I want to think about it, especially with the scare of what happened with the Marlins. You know how, what was it, like 14 players found out they had COVID, yeah. so now they had canceled games, and it's like, is this really going to affect the NFL? It's scary yeah. shit, man. It really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they Absolutely. went from, obviously, four preseason games down to two preseason games down to no preseason games. You know, they're cutting down the rosters. So there's just a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Is there? Yeah, there is. Are you afraid of there not being a season when it all boils down to it? Yeah, you know what? I, I am. I'm afraid that I think that they've shown that they're going to just muscle their way through this. That the NFL is by sheer will going to make this happen. The owners, there's too much money involved. They're, they're too invested at this point for it to not happen. But I will say that I don't know what that season's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to be from like a fantasy football perspective. I don't know what it's going to be like. Um, from from an, a real NFL perspective, how many weeks the season's going to be? Um, I just tweeted out a little bit ago at FB Injury Doc. If you want to follow me there, I know you mentioned it a minute a minute ago that we just need to be flexible as fantasy football players. We need to be flexible this year. We need to um, we need to understand that there's not going to be a hard and fast rule. There, there's no guide to a worldwide pandemic, right? Especially in the United States when we've just botched the handling of it. It doesn't matter. It's a totally apolitical observation. We botched Boy. it. It doesn't matter what side of the line you sit on. We botched this shit. So what we need to understand is that even if there is going to be a season, it's going to be altered in some way. You know, you have the you're going to be missing offensive linemen. You're going to be missing top two running backs. You're going to be missing potentially quarterback. Um, these people, if, if and if they if they actually report the positive tests, you know, like they should, um, this is going to affect a lot more people. Even if they're not symptomatic, they need to be quarantined for at least 10 days um, before they are allowed back in. So it's not going to be a traditional season by any stretch of the imagination. If there is tricks with it. Right. Well, the other thing we need to do is, of course, enjoy some good whiskey. And so Matt Hutchins, or Houchins, not really exactly sure how to say his last name, actually sent me over. I won this contest that he does for whiskey tout. 
It's whiskeytout.com. Whiskey Tout. He sent me over some Whistle Pig 12. A little sample of that. So I'm going to be sipping on this throughout the episode, guys. Get excited. Can't wait to try this out. It was one of my favorite whiskeys back in the day. However, I haven't had it in quite some time. So I appreciate it, Matt. Shout out to you, man. Go follow him on Twitter at M-A-T-H-O-U-C-H-E-N-S. M-A-T-H-O-U-C-H-E-N-S. Matt Houchins. Yeah, huge shout out to this guy. But I wrote an article recently on Dynasty Happy Hour, and we were actually discussing in this article how the 2011 lockout hit. And obviously teams weren't able to practice. They couldn't get together. They tried to get together at like college stadiums and high school stadiums, but they couldn't have any contact with the coaches. They couldn't have any contact with the staff. They had to stay completely separate players versus the owners, you know, versus the coaches, whatever happened. And it, it really kind of lined up with exactly what happened with COVID, except for we're almost in a better position off season wise because of the fact that you could have contact with the rookies, you could have contact with the current players, you could sign free agents. There were so many different advantages this year versus the 2011 lockout. So when I initially dove into this, I dove into this thinking I'm gonna find, oh man, rookie wide receivers aren't gonna perform, rookie quarterbacks aren't gonna perform, you know, the offensive lines are gonna end up falling off. And every single time that I looked up any kind of statistic or analytic approach, like there was really no difference from the 2011 lockout offseason to the 2020, I'm sorry, the, the 2011 lockout offseason to any other offseason surrounding that time period. Like there was no drop in production from the wide receivers, no drop in production from the quarterbacks. There were no extra sacks to be had. I even went on the defensive side of the ball. I'm like, maybe they, the defense, because the defense does have to be in one, you know, one cohesive unit. Maybe the defense was giving up more big plays. There was literally nothing, nothing that translated into a, I guess, less prepared team from the 2011 offseason. There was nothing. So I'm about to give up on the whole article. Like I'm, I'm literally about to give this up, and I'm in it like six or seven hours at this point in time, and then I come across the injuries. And I was like, holy shit. The injuries were up like 300 <clears throat> adjusted games from the previous year. And it was insane. There were so many more injuries that happened because of the because of the lockout and so I wanted to bring you on to talk about that and see if you know you read my article see if my research was correct or if I was missing something or or what your thought process uh, was on it so it was really good well-written article by you by the way it's um, pointed out a lot of good used a lot of good research it was um, yeah it was based based in fact not so much opinion so that's great I always appreciate that Um, what I will say is this study is it's pr- the study by Dr. Zach, Zach o- O'Binney, I believe is his last name here. His name is, uh, yeah, Dr. Zach Binney, not O'Binney. Um, but uh, he and his research team, he uh, put out, he's a, he's a doctor. He's a, some sort of, God, I have to look at what he is, but he did, it's a, it's a medical uh, degree, some sort of medical degree, um, a PhD. Him and he's an epidemiologist. That's what it is. He put out an article that basically looked at injury rates in the NFL from 2010 to 2016, 2007 to 2016, right? 
And so the goal of the article wasn't even to find anything in specifically in the year 2011, uh, which was the year of the lockout. The goal of the article was to look at and see if the changes in the practice in the new CBA affected injuries over the long term. Yep. Um, so those those basically what the article came down to is that there was no change in injuries. So you can you can take from that whatever whatever you want. But they did find in that article that you cited basically a change in the in the conditioning related um, conditioning related injuries, yeah, which tends to be your hams, your muscles, your hamstrings, Achilles, ACLs. And that they, that went up by like 38%, I believe. Yeah. It was um, and it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a massive spike. And this <clears throat> makes sense because, um, Dr. Tim Gabbett puts out a ton of research, has put out a ton of research on this. And basically what we found is that when you don't have a ramp up period, the best way to describe it is when you don't have a ramp up period, then you are at risk for more non you're at like three to six times higher risk to suffer uh, some sort of conditioning related injury. And that's exactly what they found in 2011. So, so we have Matt Menier over here on our Facebook group for our fantasy football discussion. It's one of the largest fantasy groups like on Facebook available. We have over 19,000 members. Anyways, Kenny was in there and he wanted to ask if there was a certain position that you might think might be affected by this, you know, when it comes down to the linemen, when it comes down to the wide receivers, when it comes down to the running backs, you know, is, is there a certain position that, that might have more of these injuries than other positions? I wish that we had the positional breakdown in the study by, by doc, but we don't, we just know that overall there were more injuries that spiked. Now you can consider that, it's it's a massive. It's twenty one percent of NFL hamstring injuries are wide receivers. Yeah, I was just about to say. I feel like wide receivers would be the most susceptible because of mm-hmm. you know the routes that they're running, et cetera. Running backs yeah, would have so, to be right behind that, right? Maybe possibly. So it's it's DBs and wide receivers predominantly, and then the, the next the following tiers, I'd have to look, but it's a massive drop off. Um, but DBs and wide receivers are definitely the most. Uh, likely to have uh, an injury to a hamstring because like 70 or 80 percent of them are non-contacted nature and that's just the nature of what hamstring of how hamstring injuries basically occur so that's you'd have to think that somebody who's already susceptible to those types of injuries they're also more likely wide receivers are also more like more likely to tear an acl so you those positions are the ones you have to look to first to understand truly who might be at a higher risk given what's already average so, so let me actually clarify this for people that are either just joining or whatever the case is. We're talking about how condition-dependent injuries are, were more susceptible to happen back in 2011 when the lockout occurred because they didn't have a ramp-up period. And the fact that this could actually duplicate in you know, 2020 with the COVID and not having a ramp-up period as well, you know, we could see these condition-dependent, which means if people can stretch right? If people can, you know, kind of prepare their bodies for it, then they can actually prevent a lot of these injuries. So, yeah. So, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I would say it has more to do with the physical work that they do, you know, regardless of what their routine is, just having that period where they do start to, you know, de deload when it comes to their strength, their strength program, right? They start to up their, their load when it comes to like aerobic capacity, they start to increase the routes that they're running, the actual physical drills, uh, the physical NFL drills that they need to be running at their position. 
all of those things need the ramp up period um, as a package, right? It's not one thing that they're specifically doing. It has more to do with preparing their bodies to take the load, not to get too nerdy, but specifically when it comes to tendons, the more that you load a tendon, so a tendon, come, it's from muscle, turns into tendon, and then attaches onto bone. And so it's that intermediate piece of, 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 mus- of uh, tissue yeah, that basically, tissue what's that? Just tissue as a whole or soft tissue? Uh, it's just, it's like contractile tissue is what it's considered. It's the part okay. of the muscle that pulls on the bone to make it move. And those tendons respond really, really, really well to preparing them. It takes like, it takes weeks and weeks and reps and reps and months and months sometimes to get that formation, to get that, um, to get that tendon loaded and ready and prepared to take on a high load and it prepares it to to really take on the the beating that an nfl season will give it you also have to consider the reason that you need this ramp up period is because these athletes bodies are so accustomed to a specific set a certain amount of of movement of load of physical work and then if there's a dip and then a spike that puts them at, at a much higher risk to get a, a conditioning-related injury. And it has more to do with balance necessary than, necessarily than just one thing, if that makes sense. Okay. That does make sense. So I think I actually said Matt Meanier. I met Kenny Guerrero. I don't know which one I said earlier. but then So Matt Mean, uh, Meanier came back and suggested that, you know, these – players' bodies are conditioned for, you know, two to three years after having a whole, you know, lifetime worth of, you know, work in the same exact areas. So how long does it take for a player's, you know, tendons and and whatnot to kind of uh, lose strength or not be conditioned? Like, can you lose it over the course of like a month or does it take, you know, longer than that in order to lose the conditioning aspect? Right. So that's a good question. And it, and you can, and that's one way to look at it. The flip side of what we're finding with the research is that it's actually the opposite, right? You'd think like, Oh, you're, they're deloading, they're detraining. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of their body isn't ready. Um, that's definitely, that's definitely one way to look at it. Another way to look at it, um, is that you have acute versus chronic workloads, right? So one day versus seven days, right? One day is acute, seven days is chronic. Two weeks versus four weeks. Two weeks is acute, four weeks is chronic. Three months to six months, three months is acute, six months is chronic. Those ratios have to meet somewhere in the middle for players to be at optimal optimal physical performance and function. So basically, a person who has trained as much as these NFL players have needs to stay in that sweet spot, that that money spot, and not have a massive dip, which is we already did with COVID, right? I mean, they they didn't get to report to team camps early. They didn't have OTAs. They're not going to have a preseason. So they've already had a dip to what their body's accustomed to over a year period, especially the veterans. so how long does it take? I mean, it doesn't take long, right? There are some studies that look at two weeks versus four weeks acute on chronic workload ratios. So um, we're not talking two weeks and four weeks for these veterans. Some, you know, we're talking basically a matter of, you know, eight months to four months, but it all matters. It all plays into that formula. Um, and basically, you don't even need to get into the specifics. We just need to know that like, oh, relative workloads have been off. These veterans bodies are accustomed to doing X at this time of year, and now they're not whether that means it's more work or less work for them is sort of irrelevant. It's just a change, a spike in, in workloads, if that makes sense. Okay. So just to sum that up for all of us that are, you know, amateurs at this, um, when it comes to, I guess, preparing your body, you obviously don't want to overwork yourself, but you also, you know, don't want to underwork yourself. There is that prime spot. So in off season where you don't get, 
I guess that workload in order to push the you know the tendons and the tissues you know to that optimal level might not necessarily be a bad thing but it's also probably not a good thing because you want somebody to help you maintain that optimal workout point yes correct? absolutely somebody mm-hmm. like it's it's better for to have these guys monitor you and push you to i guess improve while still you know getting a, a decent amount of rest and a lot of these younger players might not might not get that i guess uh that proper balance Sure. And, you know, another thing, an interesting thing that you can consider, too, is that rookies might actually not be all that affected in terms of injuries. When it comes to production, you know, maybe there's something there for rookies if they have to pick up an offense really quickly. But essentially, when it comes to injuries, they might actually be protected to a certain extent because rookies already have a really high rate of soft tissue injuries. Because if you think about it, they're uprooting their entire life. They're going from (laughs) amateur to professional. Um, getting ready for the combine pushing 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 right they're doing you know they have the the underwear olympics that they train for and then they're jumping back into football activities (laughs) their bodies so they already there's already um a pretty established pattern that rookies do have soft tissue injuries you saw with darius slayton Cortland sutton um there were a few other rookies that you saw josh oliver for the jaguars you saw all these rookies who had these and you can go back even yeah, um, there are a ton of them. You can go back years and rookies always have issues. It's because the changes in workload. It's the same reason the changes in their workload, whether it's more work or less work, what they're accustomed to, plus all the new stresses in their life. So this so actual period my- between the combine and between the season actually starting could be a good thing because they kind of scale it back to an extent. It actually just might not affect them. And okay. actually because their their workloads are already going to be all jacked up, right? So they're already going to be changing and in transition. So the amount of rookies getting injured might not change at all. And we might see more veterans getting injured. That's interesting. So, all right. My question for you is guys like Will Fuller, right? Guys that have been injured in the past on like a regular basis. They now have access to the facilities all by themselves. Like they're not being I guess hindered by the training staff not giving them their full attention because they're dealing with other players who are getting injured on a daily basis like you know you have training camp and whatnot where players are getting injured so the training staff is not solely focused on these guys who are injury prone is it do you think that there's any way that a training staff having the full focus on one guy could actually help prevent injuries in the future or do you think that's that they're already doing everything that they can that the players you know essentially already have the best possible situation to not get injured again. Yeah, it's it probably doesn't make a difference to be all, to be honest. Um, they already are going they already get the top Don't medical tell care. Me that, they already man. <laughs> they already get uh, medical care every day. Somebody like Will Fuller who's had these issues since dating back to college, right? Has had these issues having the attention of the medical staff or or even if, you know, that's the case they have more attention, that probably isn't going to make a difference. What I would be more more interested in hearing or reading about Will Fuller is like, oh yeah, he overhauled his strength and con- his, his off-season program, right? He overhauled his how many routes he's running. He changed what he's doing in the weight room and now he's loading less or loading more. Um, he changed, you know, he changed his diet. He did something. He started yoga. He started pull- if if that's you know if you hear something like that that would make my ears perk up that's interesting as well so i mean with will fuller i believe i I came up with nine out of 11 of his injuries have been soft tissue or, or i'm sorry condition dependent injuries which are essentially to an extent soft tissue is this something that's like a regular occurring thing with players like if they get soft tissue injuries are they more susceptible to them in the future 
Okay, so sorry. Can you repeat the last part? I knocked my own headphones out of my ear. <laughs> You're good. If players do end up, you know, incurring or yeah, incurring soft tissue injuries, right, and and they keep on having them reoccurring because when we look at Will Fuller, nine mm-hmm. out of his eleven injuries have been condition dependent injuries. Is this something that that is going to reoccur, you know, from here on out, or is this something that he can actually, you know, I guess stabilize and, and not have to deal with later in his career? Can he stabilize it? I, I think I think anything's possible. I think the human body is absolutely legit. Unless he has some sort of, you know, underlying uh, connective tissue dysfunction, he might, right? That he might have. Unless that's the case, almost any player, any, almost any person is able to correct some sort of injury that they have. Now, can that happen? Yes, but I don't have his medical history, right? I don't, I don't have his, his, I didn't, you know, examine him. I don't know his, his medical history, anything like that. So it's hard to say if he will, but can he? Most people can. The problem with Will Fuller in fantasy football specifically is that he basically he's in the range of prove it right to me. He's in the range of show me first before I spend a high draft pick. Um, show me that, like I said, maybe you show me that you change your offseason program. Show me that you switch doctors, that you switch physical therapists, that you switch trainers. Let, give me some sort of indication that you're doing something different. And I, we just haven't heard that from him. So I can't confidently say like, oh yeah, he'll, he's going to turn it around, you know, in year four or whatever, he's going to turn it around. It's just not, it's, it's yeah. difficult to say that he can until he does it. So, I mean, if you had to walk the plank, right. Or choose one of these two guys, right. You had to either walk the plank or choose one of these two guys, which might be walking the plank anyways in fantasy football, but <laughs> you had to choose between Brandon cooks and, and Will Fuller, you know, Will which Fuller. one are you putting your, your chips on? Fuller. And I hate doing that too, because I feel like to a certain, some of physical therapists right by trade. And so I hate betting against players. It's like inherently goes against everything I stand <laughs> I for. I didn't say you had to bet with, against a guy. I just said you had to go <laughs> for a guy. No, yeah. And I, that's good. Okay. That's a good point. If I had to take one, you know, and we're sitting there in the whatever 10th round, 11th round, I'd probably go Will Fuller. And that's because I care about Brandon Cooks. And just as a human, I just am so concerned that he's had five concussions in the last three or four years. His, his career is and Chase, let me tell you, his career is in jeopardy. Not just is he going to miss another two or three games. Yeah, we're talking about he Jordan Reed. Could, yeah, he, he, he could legitimately have one more concussion and, and just be done as an NFL player. And I, that worries me. And it's a legitimate concern. And it's not that I don't want him to be successful. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope he plays 16 games and con- concussion-free. But the risk is just too high for me to want to take him because it could, especially if you take him as like your wide receiver two or three, unless you have depth, you are you are really playing with fire and, and when it comes to fantasy football. So Darius Geis, let's bring up Darius Geis since we're on the, the topic of these guys. What are your thoughts on Darius Geis and his, his situation? Yeah, so when you talk about Darius Geis, you have to look at two buckets, right? You have to look at the performance bucket, the physical performance, strength and conditioning, what is his body capable of, and then you have to look at the medical history. What 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 are we looking at and what are we dealing with from a medical perspective? The first one we can we know that we're dealing with okay, he's 20 years old, he is an ultra athlete, he performed at LSU, he has all these things going for him. But we also know that he's had these injuries, right? He had the ACL, then he had the infection, which was sort of a freak deal. He had the uh, meniscus, and then he had the MCL. He's had all these injuries that, you know, they're beginning to pile up. And the problem with the meniscectomy is that, which is the the one that caused him, right? So that's the second. It was ACL, then the meniscus, and the MCL. 
So the meniscus was a middle injury and that meniscus essentially, it's just cartilage that sits at the, like on your shin bone at the, t- at the, at, at the, where your two bones, your leg bones meet and you're sitting right here. Right. And the problem is that that cartilage got damaged. And when that cartilage got damaged, they went in, they sewed it up. It took six to eight weeks for him to come back. That's connective tissue. And the ACL was connective tissue. The MCL was connective tissue. So now you start to look at this 20 year old and you wonder, uh, you know, you wonder why is it that, that, um, he's having these connective tissue injuries specifically. Is there something that he's, he's just predisposed to? And that's what you have to look at when you consider Darius Geis. And then you also have the fact that he is, you know, he's got like four other running backs to complete with snaps. Scott Barrett over at fantasypoints.com. It's like eight. Yeah, it's a ton of them. <laughs> fantasypoints.com. Let's Scott see if we, we can that. name them all real quick. Let's see if we can name them all Do real go quick. Ahead. We got Do Bryce Love. We got Peyton Barber. We have Adrian Peterson. We have, of course, uh, Antonio uh, Gibson. We have uh, McKissick. Who am I missing? Is it Thompson already? Oh, no, Thompson's Jacksonville. No, yeah, Thompson's in Jacksonville now. I think that's all of them. But okay. what I was going to say is that he's got all those dudes to compete with, and we know that um, the fantasy success is correlated to snaps, not even touches it's snaps and even if he just doesn't have snaps it's not it's not a good corollary so all of those things like would i take darius guys as like a flyer you know as like a you know white a flex player maybe like an rb4 yeah i think that'd be fine but i'm definitely not counting on him necessarily if that makes sense he's okay. got to show me like fuller all right let's throw in guys into the into the fuller ring we're gonna see if we can get fuller kicked out of this ring who would you take <laughs> over uh fuller i mean uh, who'd you take over fuller and guys uh definitely guys Okay. I think I would take guys. It's a little easy. I don't know. It depends because I don't like, it depends on round structure format, right? Everything. But again, they're both in the show me category. And I guess you could say Fuller has more upside, but at the same time, um, Darius guys could eventually run away. No pun intended with that job just because he's so talented. So I I guess, I guess that was my instinct was to say guys. So I guess I'll say guys. (laughs) That works. (laughs) We, so I don't know if you see the question on the screen, right? Could Geis be the new Jay Ajay? Uh, he's a lot younger, and he didn't have a pre-existing. We still don't know that for sure that he has symptomatic arthritis. That Geis has symptomatic arthritis, so I hope not. I don't even have a chance, man. Everyone had a chance. Yeah, he. Uh, it's rough. He's a lot younger, so the hope is no. The hope is that he's not the new Jay Ajay. Because Jay Ajay, like, played rugby or something for, like, five years before he came to the NFL, didn't he? I didn't know he was that. a soccer player or something. I don't even know. I didn't know that. All right, so going back to the to the Redskins offense, I'm, I'm going to pop a quick question Washington on football you. team, man. Washington, Washington football Washington team. Washington football team, baby. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm a fan, unfortunately. I mean, that's why I started playing fantasy football was because yeah, I had to – endure the the decisions of the washington football team's general manager's decisions and yeah it's been brutal but the biggest brutal thing i guess that i could say is is dude we're hurt every single year and typically it's leg injuries do training staffs have a massive effect on leg injuries when it comes to the preseason you know i'm sorry prior to the season i should say i get this question a lot and 
it's difficult for me to answer because I don't want to throw another medical professional under the bus. I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I don't know what their regimen is. I don't know how they put, you know, what they do in terms of a strength and conditioning program. I know that they just had an overhaul. Um, they brought in Dr. Kevin Wilk, a physical therapist, who's he's basically like the, the physical therapist founding father of sports medicine. He knows what he's doing. Super smart person. So when it comes to, you know, can the medical staff make a difference? theoretically right there are specific regimens you can follow there's research out there showing like the chronic we already talked about the chronic and acute workloads um there's stuff that you can prep like hamstrings for to prevent acl injuries but man there's a 2.3 percent injury free game rate in the nfl that's over a period of four years there were only 2.3 percent of games only 2.3 percent of games were injury free in the nfl from 2012 to 2014 so it's really to be healthy is the anomaly in the NFL. So it's really difficult to pinpoint a, a, a specific medical staff and say, oh, man, you don't know what you're doing. Right. Because injuries are so random a lot of times um, that it's just it's hard to point at them and say, hey, this is your fault. If you, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I understand completely. All right. So we're going to wrap this up here in, in a little bit. But real quick, if you guys have any questions, if you guys are listening, watching, you guys have any questions, please go ahead and ask them. Just type them into the comments. They'll come up on our screen and we will answer them for you. But obviously with, you know, the, the whole thing, COVID going on, there's a lot, a lot of different ways that, that managers are handling the, the teams. I'm in a league or I'm actually in like 10 leagues with uh, one guy that actually runs fantasy football discussion. He's the head of the whole thing, A1. And uh, he put a, I believe, cap on week 10. If you don't, if we don't get to week 10, then we all get our money back. If you get to week 10, it's the person in first place. Obviously, there are other rules. I believe we added in IR spots, an extra IR spot, maybe two to every one of those leagues as well. You know, what are you doing personally if you're a commissioner? I don't know if you are or not, but if you're a commissioner, what are you doing personally to ensure your, your fantasy leagues are, are good to go? Oh, I am a commissioner, man. I got to tell you every year that I'm a commissioner, it just like drains my soul. I hate being a commissioner at this point. I was so gung-ho when I started, and now I'm just like, Oh, dude, I hate doing it. People complain I split about it with everything. Three people. I split it, my responsibilities with uh, two other people. Oh, it's a three man. person and we don't vote with the uh, we don't vote with the people in the league. If we want to change a rule, we vote with three of them. And everybody that's in the league actually voted to do that. So <laughs> that's, like, I wish that I was in a league like that, man. Yeah, like we all I voted to actually have a three headed monster. So that way we can get decisions done a lot quicker. We don't have to wait for people mm -hmm. to respond. And then, you know, mm -hmm. with certain things, some people are in an advantageous situation. So they'll vote because it helps them out that year, not because it's the right decision long term. So that's right. why we all decided that three people would end up, you know, voting on on the rules. And it was the three people that, you know, aren't like we don't play year to year necessarily. We've been there the longest and, and we just felt like it was the best way to go. I believe it's like eight years now. But anyway, like a board. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty much a board. Like we make decisions and we we tell people what they're doing, but that way it's not one commissioner being the, you know, the head almighty. But it's also not everybody, you know, trying to vote for their own specific benefit. We're doing it for the benefit of the league. Anyways, right, right. with your leagues, what rules are you coming up with? So I would say expand your benches. I'm saying unlimited IR slots. I'm saying draft your handcuffs wisely. That's more of a strategy piece. Um, and just like you said, have a contingency plan and be flexible. The no fun league, right? The NFL, the no fun league, they said you are going to have to NFL teams. They said you're going to have unlimited IR slots, IR transitions. Um, it's going to be three weeks. It can be on the IR for up to three weeks. Um, they can come back after 10 days. If they're saying that 
they're going to have unlimited IR spots. There's zero reason on this planet that we should not have expanded IR spots as, you know, fantasy football players. I'm not a purist when it comes to scoring, like PPR, half PPR, tight end premium. Like I think some make more sense than others, but generally I don't care. It's a fake game and it already doesn't correlate with scoring itself. Right. It's, it's just a totally made up game. But when it comes to roster construction and, and having appropriate safe fails or fail safes, that's, that's phrase for, you know, like a worldwide pandemic. I think there is a certain way to go about that. And I think expanding your benches and having unlimited IR slots um, is possible and not being too stringent about those IR spots. That makes sense. I dropped his uh, one of his most recent uh, podcasts down in the comments, guys. If you all want to check out the comments, I believe I definitely went to, on a Twitter. I'm not sure if it went on a Facebook. If it didn't go on a Facebook, then I'll I'll leave it afterwards. But if you guys see that that comment I just dropped, it's actually a comment that, uh, or it's actually his podcast that talks about some of the rules and whatnot and what's going to happen on the NFL side of COVID. My dog is scratching the door and it's driving me nuts and distracting the hell out of me. So, what's your dog's name? Um, Bentley. He's a little knucklehead. Bentley. Yeah, I'll, I'll pull him back up here in a second. But uh, while I'm I'm getting him, um, what's your opinion on Big Ben given his age and his injury history? Uh, yeah. So Big Ben and the Steelers, they're in a sprint, guys. They are in a sprint. They are in win now mode. He's 38 years old. Oh my gosh! Hello, pub dog. Love dogs. Um, so they're in a sprint and I'm not so confident necessarily that he is going to be one. He's like a hundred percent a slam dunk, but I think last time I checked, I love it. I love it. A big dog person. Um, the last time that I checked, uh, he was like going like quarterback 17 or something at that point, you got to take big Ben. I mean, he, he, he throws the ball like 500, 600 times a year. Um, he actually didn't have a Tommy John. It sounds like he had a primary repair of the ligament, which essentially means, they they just resutured the ligament. They didn't replace it with somewhere from his from his leg. Um, so that comes with all of the things. It, it doesn't come with all the things that we know about Tommy John. We know Tommy John pitchers come back. They throw faster. They have a lower ERA. Um, you know they throw they throw fewer walks. They, they actually come back better, faster, stronger, and it's it's got a really like a ninety five percent success rate. But it takes a lot longer. And so essentially, Big Ben it sounds like made the decision of like, hey. Um, the recovery for the primary repair is shorter. Let's go down that ro- route. Um, I'm in a sprint anyway. If it, if it, you know, if it fails and it fails, I'm probably going to retire within the next couple of years. Anyway, we're in a sprint. We're in win now mode. Let's just do it and get back to throwing as soon as I possibly can. It doesn't mean that he won't be successful or can't be successful. It just adds another drizzle of uncertainty, another drizzle of volatility. Okay. So what about with James Conner? We might as well stick with the Steelers. Yeah, man. James Conner is another player that has to prove it to me. Um, when he came into the NFL, I think he's finished 13, 12 and nine games respectively in his rookie year, first year, second year and third year. He's had uh, all connective tissue issues. He's had an AC joint uh, or uh, sorry. It's a, yeah, it was an AC joint dislocation. Yep. Um, and he had a, he had an MCL tear and it's MCL tears. It's so rare to have some need surgery for them. Uh, it's like 95% of players who have a MCL injuries actually just heal on their own. Um, and then he also had a high ankle sprain, which is another, those are all connective tissue issues. Right. And the thing with James Connors, he has such a feel good story. It's so great. It's such a good story. You know, came back from cancer in the NFL, the whole deal. I think he's a Pittsburgh kid too, right? He's like from Pittsburgh. Yeah, so it's like a really so. nice story. Oh, it's a great <laughs> story, man. It's, it's tough to not, you know, want him on your team, Rude but at the him, same yeah. time, it's like, damn man, like this is a tough and, situation. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and, and Anthony McFarland coming in, 
you know, that he's a decent backup overall, but they said they're going to use James Conner as a work a workhorse, you know, bell cow back. So, I mean, I, what round would James Conner have to fall in or what players would he have to surpass in order to, to actually be draftable in your mind? Well, what, so let me, I guess I'll address it a different way. So the thing with James Conner is we don't know. There could be something more severe underlying with James Conner. The, we, what we do when it comes to cancer treatments is that we, we don't know. Cancer is a really smart disease. And so to treat it, the best that we've come up with so far is just blasting all of the human cells, right? <laughs> Basically in there and just everything, everything is going down with the ship. And that's how we can treat cancer. That also, you know, that goes into a deeper conversation about genetics and what it does to your body and how the, what it does to your cells and how you create connective tissue. Could the treatment have done something to alter the way that his body creates connective tissue? Uh, yes, it could yeah. have. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but it could be something more underlying than that. For James Conner, for me to be confident in James Conner um, as a fantasy, you know, asset, it would he would have to show me you know, this year, like, Hey, he can take the full load. He won't have another connective tissue injury and he can play uh, at least, you know, 14 games, 15 games without a significant injury. So right now I'm on draft calculator, right? And I'm looking at it and he's actually going a lot higher than I thought that he was going. Uh, They have him in the early fourth round. Would you take Le'Veon Bell or James Conner? Le'Veon Bell. Okay, what about um God they have that's weird, man. Sometimes I think this site isn't right. I don't like they have Austin Eckler as the four and nine. That doesn't sound right. I that sounds right to me. People are hyping Eckler. Oh no, I thought he'd be above that to be honest with you. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh man, keep hyping him then. Like I, I thought he was in like the mid third round or something. Like I had Eckler above David Montgomery. I have him above Le'Veon Bell. But uh all right, so what about Chris Carson? That's another injury. I would guy. take I would take Chris Carson first. And that's another situation that's un, unclear or not as it's a little volatile, but I'd take Chris Carson. What about Scott? Like Philip Lindsay's going in the fifth round. That's crazy to me. Um, uh, what about Raheem Mostert? He just signed a new contract, right? Uh, well, I guess he restructured his contract. He restructured it. He didn't resign it. He restructured it. That's where I'm. That's, I think you found a sweet spot there. That one I don't know. Um, I would probably say, what round is that? What round is Mostert going? Uh, sixth. But he'll probably pop up to like the mid-fifth round, I'm guessing, by you know, the end of the week. I think I'd be willing to gamble on Connor at that point in the sixth, um, potentially, just because I, that, that 49ers backfield's a freaking mess. I mean, I know the Steelers is too, but I think that when it comes to upside, I mean, Raheem Mostert's 28 years old. He yeah. doesn't have the pedigree that you want him to have. He had like a like 70% of his production came in like two games or something last year. Uh, I think if I had to gun to my head, I'd say James Conner. <laughs> okay. I said walk in the plank earlier. You just gun to your head. Oh, right. right. Just... Yeah, I get a little more aggressive. <laughs> <my back>. <laughs> <laughs> Way more aggressive. I mean, yeah, so these are the guys that are going in the sixth round according to Dynasty ca- or Draft Calculator. Um, in Dynasty Leagues, by the way, we have Kareem Hunt, uh, Raheem Mostert, Kenyon Drake, uh, Jonathan Taylor, and Darius Geis. So it's right in that range. Who would you t- take above, Darius Geis or uh, James Conner? Geis. Geis? You're, getting, you're throwing some good ones out. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, like, I think that Jonathan Taylor should be way above the sixth round, in my opinion. I think that guy's going to be a stud. 
I think I'd take J.K. Dobbins above this point, who's in the seventh round. Ooh, I'll take Dobbins. I like Dobbins. Yeah, I do too. I like Dobbins this year. Uh, DeAndre Swift for me is a lock. I even like Todd Gurley more than I like uh, James Conner. What, uh, what's your take on Todd Gurley? That's a good one. Yeah, so Todd Gurley, it's weird that we're having this conversation a year later about Todd Gurley because we had, we had it last year. Um, we're having the same conversation. Osteoarthritis is a chronic condition that does not get better with time. It gets worse with time and it gets worse with wear and tear. When it comes to mileage, running back mileage, that my, this is what we're talking about. This is when mileage actually matters when you have a chronic condition. What you need to know about osteoarthritis when it's symptomatic, your brain gets your not your brain, but your whole body gets locked into this um, process of inflammation and pain and the quad muscle shuts down and it's difficult to move and run. It's difficult to cut your, and one hit with, from a helmet can cause you to spiral, um, and cause symptoms for the next three or four weeks. His volatility is through the roof. He's a year older. He, this can, like I said, this condition doesn't go away. So is I mean, it, it really depends like, where I mean, you want to take him. It, like but you I'm said, not, it doesn't I'm go away. Enough. Sorry to interrupt. But you said it doesn't go away. No. Right. But does it actually like, does it recede at all? Does it kind of like, you know, does it become less painful essentially? It, it waxes and wanes and it does not become less painful. You can manage the condition. A lot of people, you and I could be walking around with osteoarthritis. What matters is when it, when it becomes symptomatic and for Gurley, it's become symptomatic. Um, a lot of people come to physical therapy and they, you know, can manage the symptoms, but it doesn't ever go away. No, so it's the not symptoms, something that once like, it becomes symptomatic, you're never getting rid of it. Right. Like, I mean, you're never not feeling it. Right. And that's why people get joint replacements. Okay. Makes sense, man. All right. I'm going to get you out of here. Can you go ahead and let them know where to find you on Twitter and where yeah, go ahead and find me on Twitter at FB injury doc. Um, I respond to everybody on there. I do my best. If I don't respond on Twitter, then it's, I probably missed it. Dude, he got back so, to me in like a minute. Uh, I'm, I'm not even kidding you. Like I saw him on a show. He said this exact same <laughs> thing and he got like, I messaged him. He got back to me in like five minutes. So he yeah. definitely will. If you guys have any questions, fantasy football discussion, you guys have questions like every literally two minutes, we get a new post from fantasy football discussion. I'm not exaggerating. It, it might be even less than every two minutes. If you guys have questions, go bug the shit out of him on Twitter. <laughs> That's right. Bug the shit out of me. I'll, I'll respond. You can see and, his, uh, his a, handle at the bottom of the screen. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. You want to go ahead and talk about your, uh, your podcast? Oh yeah. Go, uh, find my injury podcast. Uh, I, I, this is, I'm the worst. I'm the worst at self-promoting. Um, <laughs> go to the, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, wherever you get your Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Um, find my podcast at injury prone fantasy football podcast, a little play on words. My, my Twitter profile says injury prone is a lie. That's a whole other topic for a whole nother day, but my injury prone <laughs> fantasy football podcast, please. If I've and, and this is a new audience, so maybe I haven't given you value quite yet, but if I've ever given you value at all and you're listening, I would really appreciate a five-star review. It would mean the world to me. Absolutely. And that's it. Those are all. And then fantasypoints.com. That's where all my written content is. Dude. Awesome, man. Great to have you on. I really appreciate it. Go check this guy out. If you guys are on his page, you want to follow me. I'm at FF underscore intervention. You guys can also join the fantasy group, fantasy football discussion. There's over 19,000 members in that group. Everybody that comes on the podcast, I try to get to join. And guess what? You guys ask him questions and you guys get answers, especially from this guy. Thank you all for listening once again. And thank you for letting me intervene with your fantasy or us intervene with your fantasy football life. We're out. Hey, my mom dope. My niggas is dope. Switch up a stove. Pick up a stove. They feeling no way. They know I'm the goat. Hey, 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 hey. I got
That's how you bang a podcast.